Well, we're jumping back into uh, our Entrusted series, talking about uh, stewarding God's resources, the resources that God has uh, allowed us to, to use. Um, I think I've said before, it is incredible to me that an all-knowing, uh, perfect, holy, um, completely other God would choose to use humanity uh, to partner with and to cooperate with, and um, part of that is seen in God trusting us with a, a number of different resources and uh, allowing us to use those resources, either use them wisely, use them poorly, uh, use them to, uh, for selfish gain, use them to benefit others. And so we've been looking at some of that over the last couple of weeks. We looked at, at time um, and how we use our time. We looked at uh, we talked about natural resources and, and maybe looked at how we could better be stewards of God's uh, creation around us. Part of this series is a recognition that everything we have is, is a gift from God. And as followers of Jesus, we are striving to utilize those gifts to glorify God and to help uh, others uh, experience the life worth living uh, and catch glimpses of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. And so this morning we are taking a look at this uh, parable of the talents, sometimes we call it. Um, and on the surface, those talents in this context is talking about money, um, and, and certainly on the surface, this is a, a parable about money, it's, and I'll say it's not unrelated to money, but we're going to save money conversation mostly for next week. Uh, this is a story uh, where Jesus um, frames out uh, talking uh, to his followers about faithfully carrying out the tasks or the assignment that Jesus has passed on to his followers. Um, it's a parable that could relate to a number of different resources uh, with which God has entrusted us. But this morning I want to look at our, our talents, our gifts, our abilities, and the way that God has wired us as individuals and how we can use that, how we can utilize those gifts uh, to glorify God and to uh, help our neighbors. Um, I'll say it's also a parable that has some rough-sounding stuff in it, uh, especially for 21st century listeners. Uh, you know, you read the part about the slaves, and, and some translations call it servants, slaves. Um, you know, I, I wish there was different language there, but, you know, this is an ancient text, and... Um, that's the world that in which they lived, and uh, so, so um, it connects with them, and I think there's a very valuable lesson for us in our day and in our time here as we work through this parable. And as we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the many gifts talents, abilities that are represented, represented by this family of faith gathered here this morning. For the abundance of talents you have poured out into the church. And I pray that you might challenge us and help us 
to consider how we may use those talents to glorify you and to seek your kingdom. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we read through this story, uh, Jesus tells uh, uh, this parable about a man who's getting ready for a journey that's going to take him away from home for uh, quite a while. And he gathers these three slaves uh, who, uh, to, to kind of take charge of his estate. And this was a, a common practice in the ancient world where slaves often served as kind of house managers. They were able to conduct business on behalf of uh, the house or on behalf of the master. They were given quite a lot of authority in the way these uh, houses operated. And what we read here is that one uh, of these slaves is given five talents, another two talents, and the last one, one talent. Now, I have to confess that often when I have read this story, I have kind of pictured, you know, the, the master is giving these, um, these slaves little sums of money, one five, one two, one one. Uh, but I was coming in my study notes, coming across uh, this week about the actual amount that scholars believe is being entrusted to uh, these, these slaves in this picture. And, and honestly, it, it kind of uh, helped me have a better understanding of what is being entrusted and also in the reaction that Jesus' audience would have had in hearing uh, of the, the laziness, the unfaithfulness of this last uh, servant in not doing anything with what had been given to him. A talent in the ancient world was a monetary weight. You would weigh out your gold or your silver uh, in, in, in a talent. And one talent was roughly equivalent to 6,000 days wages for a day laborer, or about 20 years of work. And so the, the one that is given one talent, you know, I looked up what's our average income in, uh, for a year in Pennsylvania, one talent is roughly equivalent to $640,000. Two talents, $1,280,000. Five talents, over $3,000,000. We're not talking about a few coins here, right? These uh, slaves have been entrusted with great wealth. Even the one who's only given one talent. And, you know, often I'd read through the story and I'm like, man, the poor guy only got one talent. How is he supposed to do anything with one talent? And then I, you know, read that, you know, one talent is 20 years income for the average day laborer. So now put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' audience. They hear about this one slave who's been entrusted with great wealth, 20 years worth of income. Jesus is talking to, to uh, fishermen and to uh, folks who were kind of often living hand to mouth, right? And this guy is given $640,000 and sits on it. He does nothing with it. What a waste. 
of such abundance, such wealth. I think the story seemed to hit me in a different way when I realized how much was being entrusted to each of these servants and how much was being wasted. When I realized how much a a talent was, I could reflect on a God who loves lavishly with abundant resources, entrusting great gifts to His followers. In uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we call 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, Paul talks about a number of these talents, a number of these gifts that are given in abundance to, uh, to the body of Christ, to the church. And Paul writes here to this group of uh, believers in Corinth who were struggling to get along, had differences of opinion, can you imagine, um, who were struggling and, and arguing about who was gifted and who wasn't gifted and, and whose gifts were more important than the others. And Paul writes these words, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates or breathes in to all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the the working of powerful deeds, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses." Paul's talking about a variety of gifts given to individual followers of Jesus meant to benefit the body. Paul uses the the, the phrase there, for the common good. There's other places where Paul will talk about uh, spiritual gifts. He talks about it in Romans. He talks about it in Ephesians. And and what each of these instances has in common is a, a variety of gifts that God is pouring out onto His people for the common good, to build one another up, to be used together in cooperation. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to go on and, and, and talk about this analogy uh, of the body of Christ, of these different gifts being uh, like different body parts where you are using them in cooperation. It doesn't do any good for an eye to, you know, wish it were a hand or wish it were a foot. No, it has a role to play within the functioning of the body. That's what Paul's talking about there. Paul expresses a belief that every individual believer has a gift, some way that, that God has wired us to, to think and to, to act, and, and, and the Spirit has breathed in and, and, and blessed us with these gifts, blessed us with abundant talents in the church. Paul will explain that you can't have body parts arguing over who's more important or what gifts matter more. Each part of the body has a role to play. We're all needed in the church. 
This week, I, we got the um, latest um, edition of the, the Messenger magazine. If you're not familiar with the, the Messenger magazine, it's the Church of the Brethren's uh, publication that, that comes out. And within uh, this um, edition, there were a series of, of brief articles uh, from a program in the Church of the Brethren called Part-Time Pastor, Full-Time Church. And, you know, I was reading through it, even though I'm a full-time pastor. Uh, I, I wanted to hear what they were talking about, read what they were talking about. And there's a comment that really jumped out at me because it really had nothing to do with um, how many hours the pastor works. Has nothing really to do with uh, how much or how little the pastor, the pastor is paid. And that comment was this, about the need to be a full-time church, no matter what. Regardless of the number of hours the pastor works a week, the paid minister, that the church is called to be a full-time church. Jesus didn't tell his disciples to put in one or two hours a week and call it good. Jesus didn't even say, I want 10% of your time. Jesus also didn't say we get to retire from being the church. Certainly our roles may change, how we hand off tasks or ministry uh, and leadership to the next generation, that's important. We don't retire from being the church. I think sometimes in the church we have come asking, how can the church, how can this congregation meet my needs? Or often more accurately, we ask, how can they meet my preferences? What can I get out of church? Rather than seeing that the church is the community of faith of which we are all asked to play a role in discipling one another, in worshiping together, in ministry to and with one another under the mission of God. That the church is a group of people with whom we are meant to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ called to love through self-sacrificial service. We are called to be a full-time church. Now, please, that doesn't mean that I'm asking you to spend full time here in this building. In fact, I think being full-time church actually means some of us need to spend less hours in this building and more hours being church with one another, in homes, meeting with people, uh, out in the community. Full-time church. I was reading through this, this parable, and, and this is, there's a number of parables where Jesus doesn't go to his disciples and provide a full explanation. This is one of those parables, and, and oftentimes I think we read it, and the, the meaning sim, seems simple and clear enough, uh, but I wish 
disciples would have asked more questions, or at least they would have recorded those questions, and we would have been able to read more of Jesus' response. But when we're reading through this, this parable that Jesus is teaching, what kept the third slave from investing his talent? Remember the story? What kept him from investing more? Fear. Fear. The master seemed to identify that each of the three had abilities that led the master to entrust serious amounts of money in each of them. Right? He identified something within them and entrusted them with, with part of his estate before he left on this trip. And so it's interesting that, that the master had faith in each of these servants. But this one maybe didn't have faith in himself maybe didn't trust his own abilities. And so he hid the money in fear. When the master returns and asks why the money had not been invested, the third one responds, I was afraid and went and hid the money. Afraid and hiding. It's not the first time those two things have gone together in Scripture. In fact, the first time that someone is afraid and hiding is Adam and Eve in their response in the garden when they've, when they've eaten the fruit and their eyes are opened and God comes in, in the Spirit-filled time of the day. They recognize that they are naked and so what do they do? They hide in fear. We heard you coming and we were afraid and so we hid. Afraid and hiding is generally not the response that God desires from us. It wasn't good in the story of Adam and Eve. It's not good here in in this parable. Acting out of fear and hiding is not the response that we were meant for when blessed by a good God who loves us. We may act out of fear because we see the gifts and talents of others and we wonder if we measure up. Maybe this, this servant um, you know, thought, well, I, I don't know what, what I can do. I, you know, I, I clearly don't have the, the gifts and the abilities of the, the one that was given five talents. Maybe the, the amount of blessing was overwhelming to him. We, you know, we don't know. But his response was to act in fear and to hide and sit on this great wealth that had been entrusted to him. Again, I wish this parable provided some more details One of the questions that I was wondering about this week was what happens when we risk failure? What happens when we risk? One of the questions, what would the response have been from the master 
if one of the slaves had attempted to invest their talent and had only returned, you know, what if the, what if the one that was given five ha- had risked, had tried some things, and had only returned four talents? Now, I get that there's a difference uh, between wise investing and unwise risk-taking. But also, sometimes things don't always go according to plan. And maybe this is the, the fear that holds us back the most, a fear of failure. We're afraid of messing up. We're afraid of losing. We're afraid of uh, not measuring up. I think we're in a moment in the church and in our society where we need to be willing to risk. And when we risk what God has invested in us, some of our experiments in life, in ministry, and serving our community, some of those things will go really, really well. And some experiments won't have the results that we hoped for, but are we willing to risk what God has entrusted in us with our gifts, with our abilities, with the way God has wired each of us? I think one of the most famous examples of, you know, seeing failure, seeing uh, the, the shortcomings in a, in a positive light is uh, famously Thomas Edison who tried all kinds of different things to serve as a filament in his light bulb. And, and rather than seeing each experiment as a failure, he saw it as eliminating a possibility in the search for what would work. The failure of the third servant was just sitting on the incredible gift of the master, burying and hiding what had been entrusted rather than taking a risk and investing in the kingdom. Perhaps we also have a fear that utilizing our gifts, using our abilities will lead to the unknown or lead to the uncomfortable. I think for us to be the church that we were meant to be, in order for this congregation to be the the Spring Creek Church of the Brethren that I think God intends us to be. We need to be a full-time church. We all need to be engaged in the life and the ministry that God has called us to. It means using your gifts and your abilities to glorify God and to seek the, the peace, the shalom of Our community, the community that meets here, the community that is out there. And again, it doesn't mean spending all of your time here in this building. It could mean some of us spending less time in this building. And rather than thinking about how uh, you can use your talents, gifts, and abilities more 
at church realize there is never really a time where we are not called to be the church. We all need to invest our talents in the kingdom of God. That could mean seeing how your gifts, your talents, um, the, the causes that you're passionate about match up with ministry programs, uh, outreach opportunities that we already have in place here at Spring Creek. You can look through the, the weekly announcements. There's a, a number of just you know, practical things uh, around the, the facility or, or a part of our uh, ministry program here where we need some help. Um, and maybe you have gifts, talents, abilities, availability, where you can help out with some of those ministry tasks. But also, that could mean risking and dreaming up new ways for you to invest yourself in the kingdom of God. We need to find ways to invest our talents, our gifts, and our abilities in what God is doing in this place. I think God has poured out His his love, His grace, and His abundance into our lives. And to just sit on it, to just hide it in fear and say, well, my gift doesn't really matter. My talents don't put me up in front of the congregation speaking or singing or you know, reading Scripture or whatever. All of you have unique ways that you are gifted, that you are uh, wired to think. And that's what makes the body of Christ a beautiful thing. Is not that we all have the same gifts and the same abilities. We don't all see, the, the, see things the same way, but we have this variety. We have these different body parts that are meant to work together in cooperation for a healthy, functioning body of Christ. And so whether you're an eye or an ear or a big toe, we need you. We need you. We need you to be engaged in the life of faith. We need you to fully be the the body of Christ and the people of God that we are meant to be together. Don't take your talents, your gifts, your abilities and dig a hole and hide them. Right? Our closing scripture this morning is going to be uh, up on the screens and in our blue hymnal, number 389. Take my life. This is a, a, a song of uh, a hymn of surrender, bringing all of who we are and all of what we have and, and laying it before God and say, God, here I am. Here is what I have. Here are my gifts. Here are my abilities. 
Here's my failures. Here's my shortcomings. Lord, take all of who I am and use them to glorify yourself and to seek the good of those around me. We're going to be um, singing verses 1, 2, 5, and 6. Again, it's in the blue hymnal, number 389, and on the screens as well. Would you stand as we sing together, Take My Life?